Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, everybody. We're the hosts of Two Weeks, One Shot, a tabletop RPG variety podcast. We play one-shot campaigns in a variety of systems. With a variety of guests from all around the TTRPG scene. And obviously, I bring a certain je ne sais quoi to every performance. I never trusted jellyfish as one of my space racism. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about how every time I run a game, you guys manage to find, like, the weirdest take you can possibly give on it. Have you accepted one of my bugs into your body so that we can communicate? Communicate telepathically. No, get your bug. No bugs in my body. First sign of trouble. Shoot it! Shoot it with the gun! <laughs> Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Two Weeks, One Shot. Are we ever going to have a serious discussion about playing furry pirates? No, 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 Welcome, everybody, to tonight's episode. Very excited to be recording with my illustrious co-host, Mr. Glenn Myers, Mr. Lee Wanika Miller. As always, our recording schedule for 2023 is beginning to wind down. We we normally take a December off of uh, recording, family and holiday uh, reasons. There's just a lot going on that time of year, especially last year when I had a baby. That was last year's excuse. This year's excuse is first birthday. First birthday coming up on December of this year. That'll be, be very exciting. Yep. All that to go ahead and say, our recording schedule winding down for, for the year here, but very excited to be to be talking to tonight's guest. But before we get into that, as always, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. How are things in your necks of the woods? Did I get the plurals right on that one this time, Luanika? I know last yes. time I'd said such a thing that was yes. you'd come yes. on yes. It didn't you require air quotes this time or parentheses. I, air quotes. <laughs> I was actually looking at you, so now I could see air quotes had they been present. But no, absolutely. Things are going pretty well here. Man, today's been a, a, just a great gaming day for me, even though all I did was my nine to five job. A uh, little secret sauce on every one of my breaks. I was listening to podcasts, QCing our own episodes for those not in the lingo, quality control on our episodes. So we do give them a listen, make sure everything's in all the right places. But I also came up with some really cool ideas that I'm so excited to, to share with uh, you guys about the new books. So I did some quick straw notes that deal with the uh, Guardians of the Grave. I think it's going to be 
particularly interesting for you as well. I'm I so saw the, the teaser you threw me in the group chat in terms of relating them to, to soldier groups and stuff. And that's actually something I had already started detailing a little bit with the non-combat sect of the Guardians for being efficient battlefield cleanup, etc. So that plays right in there. Excellent. Of course, we're, we're talking about our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to Factions, which successfully kickstarted earlier this year. Woo-hoo. By the time this episode airs, actually, the backer kit for pre-orders and additional orders may actually already be open. If you are interested in uh, checking out that book, please go check the show notes and right. our social media, and you will see all the ways to get to the backer kit. Well, uh, we keep having but- these conversations as we're working uh, hard at ning up our factions, fleshing them out mm-hmm. further, coming up with inspiration to give each other for new ideas just to make it yeah. better as we work towards completion. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Adventure the the show is on the rails, as it says. Without any further ado, let us uh, go ahead and introduce tonight's guest. So we have Mr. Alex Gray from all the way over in the UK. First of all, Alex, I appreciate you uh, staying up so late to record with us. Welcome Putting up with our pre-show shenanigans as well. Yeah, exactly. Those come for free. Those are expected. We're a podcast. Anyway, Alex, how are you doing tonight? Thank you very much for joining us on Tabletop Journeys. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. I've just come off a great gaming sash. We've just finished up a, a campaign for Cyberpunk in person. We had all the ambience, we had the music. It was very cinematic, very cool. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really in, in the right headspace, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Excellent. As uh, like I said in the pre-show, like longtime fans of Cyberpunk uh, all over here, a little bit of jealous that you got to go ahead and finish up a Cyberpunk campaign in person, in less, no less. That was something I've not done a lot of lately. So that pre-show discussion did start the initial topic of maybe all playing together with Alex running Cyberpunk for us. Hey, mm-hmm. it's head, that was headed in a great direction too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we will. We'll be yeah. sure to go ahead and put that in place. So I can uh, guarantee you, I'm all for that idea. I don't. I wasn't <laughs> present for that part of the discussion, but I have. Heard heard all I need to hear. I can yeah. literally take the headset off, call it a night. That's a wrap. I want in. Make well, it so. Well, we, <laughs> we need you for about another 65 minutes, Mr. Miller. You yeah. can't okay. leave yet. Like, that's yeah. what we're going to need you here. Alex, before we get into asking questions, everything like that, uh, give us the dime tour about you and Arcane Quill Publishing. Yes, I've been in the tabletop business since the end of 2021. I've been a long time fan of fantasy. I used to play a lot of war games when I was younger, and that transitioned into a love of fantasy literature and fiction. And through wargaming, I met a friend who introduced me to tabletop role-playing games, I think in 2016, and fell in love with it completely and never looked back. And then uh, when we were, everyone was stuck inside and I was watching a lot of D&D content and I saw adverts for, for companies and things making content and I thought, oh, I, I could have a go at this. And I applied and I was accepted and... And the rest is history, as they say. So now I have my own company. I am publishing my own adventures. It's a very small team in that it's just me (laughs) doing everything. (laughs) But I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And I started that in June of this year. Awesome. Excellent. Cool. With that, gentlemen, I think it is time. uh, Fan roll dice to the ready to roll initiative and get into the question portion of tonight's episode. So let's see here. What have I got? I've got a die bouncing out of my dice tray is what I've got. Big money, big money, no whammies. I am never more than arm's reach away from a set of dice. That, however, didn't help me at all. Could have just told you, (laughs) hey, I'm about to roll a one. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. Cool. (laughs) Excellent. All right, Mr. Miller, I like it. I like it. How about you, Glenn? What do you got? I got a 15. All right. 
There you go. So with a 13, I will go second. Mr. Myers, the microphone is yours. Man, I got to go first. No, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Alex, for joining us this evening and being the victim of my first question. Dum, dum, dum. But the first ones are always the easiest ones. As I was reading into the links that we had for your previous work and the things that you've done so far, one of the things that jumped out at me, now mind you, I definitely want to talk about Ancient Cargo, the adventure you just released on RPG. but the first thing that really stood out to me that I wanted a little bit more information on was your contributions to Describe Scenes, because that sounded really interesting, the entire concept there and writing for them and coming up with... Well, scenes for him. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Yes. As I said before, one of the companies who I saw an advertisement for, they sponsored Bob World Builder, describe. And I've always been a passionate writer. And I thought, I could maybe do this. And describe is run by a wonderful partnership of people called Dave and Ben. And David has an open submission policy, and anyone who contacts the the company can submit um, five scenes, five scene ideas. So I was thrilled to get the opportunity, so I went away, I looked at the criteria, I did research from their own material they have on the site about what makes great box text, and I rolled up some random scene subjects using Don John. And then wrote my five scenes and submitted them and David loved them and there was a little bit more onboarding and then they took me on. And I've been working there since September 2021. And that was my first gig in the TTRPG space professionally. I love it. And so that's just open submission for anybody. They can send in five scenes. Yeah, you've got to contact the, the company first, but then... David personally will get in touch and then um, he gives everyone a shot. Yeah, everybody. I always tell people to apply. That yeah. sounds really cool. That's really cool. And that's a really, I, so this was not a group that I was familiar with until I read through your information. And so I, that's a really, it's a really interesting format to try to give uh, people that want to enter the space uh, a format to go, or a, a forum to go ahead and do that. We, we decided to go the hard slog way and throw content into, into DMs Guild <laughs> then before we got on to running our own Kickstarter. So that's a really interesting, really interesting process, format, platform. Absolutely. That's part of the reason why I wanted to open with it because as a writer myself and the number of things I've looked for places to submit work and tried to get a leg up that isn't creating 100% as your own and sending it out into the void and hoping somebody notices it, it stood out to me as, hey, that's that's cool. I had not heard of them either. Yeah. In contrast to these other two fine gentlemen, I've heard of Describe and through much the same way that you came across them, through Bob World Builder and several other entities that Describe is sponsored in, in the past. I have used some of their content in the past. I find it to be really cool. I don't know if I ever knew that those were live people behind those writing or not, which is good to know. I wasn't aware of that, actually. I didn't know that there were people behind behind that. For some reason in my head, I thought it was akin to AI or something like that. And knowing that there are people behind that makes me feel so yeah, much better about much it. Better. We get asked that question, right? How do you get started? Young DMs, like you do such great descriptions, whatever. Me, I'm fly by the seat of my pants. I'm fairly well read. I watch tons of movies. I absorb 
a ridiculous sum of content, probably more than any three people should or could, <laughs> to be honest. Insomnia helps this a lot, right? Sleep. Yeah. But but because of that, it's easier for me to do things like that on the fly. I have a good improv background, so on and so forth. But there are a lot of people who don't. There are a lot of people that love this hobby and just want to be better at it. Just using content like Describe could really help them out because as they use more and more of it, they're going to turn around and start knowing how to do it just by using it. And I love the fact that it's real people behind that. Thank you so much. wasn't the intention of this interview, but absolutely gold yeah. that we know that there are real people behind that service. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've written nearly 2,000 scenes, I think, at this point, and I have hard backups of all of them. <laughs> Let me roll on right into my question here. So one thing that I noticed as I was reading through Ancient Cargo, and I'll dive more into this in, in subsequent rounds here, but the first thing that kind of stood out to me is how cinematic you seem to approach the content. You are giving screen directions to the stage, to the, the DMs, like when you're talking about the switching from Theater of the Mind to VTT and kind of how to go ahead and make that more cinematic, the questions that you're asking at the end of kind of every encounter. So I, I want to get more in your history. Like where does your how did you get into gaming in the first place? You said that you started in like 2021. So how did you get into gaming and then storytelling and then eventually launching content? So I just always loved telling stories, always. Even in my war gaming, I, I got such a thrill and enjoyment out of crafting a story on the table. And that never went away. And I, when I picked up role-playing games... It was wonderful because the, it was this avenue for a collaborative story with people who wanted to do the same thing. And it's just something that I've always really valued. And I, I don't, I know my way around a system, I, but rules I tend to learn because I want to facilitate smooth play and be able to adjudicate situations. Whereas for me, the fiction is always the most important thing because that's what we remember that's what the rules are there to facilitate the story and not the other way around and that's just how i write it's how i run games it's it's how i write content yeah as, as three story over rules storytellers uh, I love that. That is, that's brilliant. We really, we really very much feel the same way that the narrative, the rules are there to support the narrative, right? And without good narrative, the, the game isn't role-playing games, right? That's the narrative is what makes that, makes it a role-playing game versus Monopoly. You can role-play your way through Monopoly. It's not the same unless it's that kind of narrative, that kind of story. So I love hearing that. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, that's what I do. You know, it's harder to do in a war game if you're not playing with people who also enjoy that kind of thing. But what I like about role-playing games is that you can be much more flexible with the rules than perhaps with a war game and or a board game even. And you can the rules are guidelines as opposed to anything else. And there's been a situation tonight, for example, I, I was like, I don't remember the rule for that. I think it's cool. Yeah, if you roll high enough on this, you can do it. And then we carry it on. Keep it going. You keep it flowing. And that's the thing. Nice. Absolutely. Cool. And for myself, I'm still a huge 5e fan. And uh, we just played, this past weekend was a big role-playing weekend. We just played the beginning of the next part of our Titan level wrap-up 
of a 5e campaign but i also ran for our patreons monster of the week powered by the apocalypse and i find myself falling in love with that rules light narrative heavy style system and it, it puts a little bit more on me as the storyteller because it's not quite the same i can't plan a story instead i have several locations several people bystanders and a str- an endless string of possibilities and it's all a matter of where everybody goes and you have to improv it as you go but mm-hmm. so much narrative flavor in that game i've been having a blast with it and our first three patreons up to bat had a great time too the knowing your history as a GURPS and Palladium player, Glenn, I recognize the amount of growth that it takes you to say that you're that you're gravitating towards a rules light system. Uh, this, Don't uh, get me wrong. Uh, you know. I still like me some crunch. I could get up behind sure. a regular Rifts campaign with percentile skills and spend three hours making a character and have a great time with it. But playing with yeah. other people, rules light is the way to go. <laughs> I myself find that as much as I enjoy crunch and the tactics of it, that's the war gamer in me that loves that. What's the tactical advantage? What's the benefit of being on the hill versus not being on the hill or cover and all of those things. I love those elements in my various scenes, but I really love that narrative. Hey, that was a great conversation and that's going to impact the rest of this scene in this way. It is definitely going to be useful we play a lot of star trek adventures rpg which is a 2d 20 system also very narrative heavy there is a fair amount of crunch i am actually finding that to be a really sweet balance between the two and that there are a number of elements where you have a tactical advantage if you do x y or z Uh, however the bulk of it is about I'm going to do an action that's going to create an advantage for my party. And there are some die rolls involved in that, but a lot of it is just how do we narrate through this? There's mechanics and metacurrencies that allow the storyteller to just simply end a scene to mirror the types of things like scene closures, like, you know, rocks, the cave is collapsing, it falls in, everything goes black. You don't have to roll every little thing. It's just the storyteller just makes it happen and then leaves it to the characters to narrate what happens. And this is what the scene you got to explain how you got out. And then we move forward. I love those types of things and so much. Speaking of wargaming, however, I'm going to move on to my question because I know Josh is anxiously waiting me. <laughs> Speaking of wargaming, we've done a lot of interviews this year with people who've done wargaming. We interviewed about the Blackmore group. What are some of your favorite war games that you have played? What's the ones that you're playing most frequently? Are you still playing even? And the follow-up to the question to lead us deeper into the current adventure we have, which is amazing, by the way. Okay. How does that how does your wargaming background inform your scene work and your current writing and your current adventure writing? Wow, okay. So answering as order, yeah. <laughs> so quite so very similar to a lot of people, I am very privileged in that I live less than an hour away from the tabletop wargaming capital of the world, which is Nottingham, UK, home of Games Workshop. I've been many times to the headquarters. They've got like a rhino tank out front. All the beer in the bar is all like themed. It's all dwarven. They've got like (laughs) trophy heads on the walls. I've gamed in there. I've been to events there. Fantastic. And I loved it from a young age. So I started with Warhammer 40,000, 140k. And that's always been my sort of one of my favorites. And I did make some fantasy armies as well. 
but I was always, without fail, terrible at both of them. Terrible. I had such a bad like yeah. win loss ratio, and the Sick. reason was I love telling the stories. I didn't. I wasn't interested in the mechanics. I was interested in the fact that oh, this is what a space marine company is built of, built like, and I want to do that. And then in the game, it doesn't reflect that mechanical advantage. And I then I played Warhammer for many years, dropped out of it for a while, came back for several years ago now. And since and I've got to play a lot of Warhammer, I also have now started moving to other things. So I tried D&D Onslaught when I went to a war game, UK Games Expo rather, in June. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. I liked that. It, I will say it's prohibitively expensive. It's not something that you can cheap out on with the, with the rules and stuff. The sets are really expensive. But So that kind of put me off that one. But I've recently started building a Stargrave crew, which is a phenomenal game by Joseph McCullough, which is a sci-fi skirmish game. It uses the same engine as Frostgrave. That's a very narrative-heavy skirmish game. All uses a D20, which is very, which is cool, very swingy system. And I've also got stuff for a great new game that I've just come across called Zuntalis Battle Royale, which has some amazing sculpts of chibi anthropomorphic animal adventurers and that's fantastic that's uh, that's really cool and how that informs my writing narrative like i say the story's always been the best thing for me so the most fun i've ever had in wargaming uh has been telling cool stories and um elevating the little plastic and metal people on my table into heroes of legend and to the point where now i have a space marine captain who is uh, renowned among my wargaming group for his deeds and personality awesome which i love it's very cool i still lost basically all those games but it's the narrative moments that make it cool and it's the it's the fact that you tell the stories and the stories are what elevates it from just maths and I wanted to bring that into my writing. So I go for a cinematic feel because that's what I enjoy at the table and it's what I try and cultivate at the table because I get the most enjoyment out of that. And I think also my players do because it's exciting and it's you have the drama of the uncertainty of the, the rules and the dice, but they don't get in the way. I love that answer. I very frequently say I write the games I wish I could play in. And that sounds very similar to what you're describing. Um, I have the benefit of working with two of the finest gamers I know and Glenn and Josh, and that when they run games, they are also running games that I want to play in. Uh, Glenn wrote one a couple, probably two years ago with Tabletop Journeys. Uh, it might've even only been one year ago where he had some amazing mechanics for uh, a tide coming in while there's a combat and you had to rescue people and how the mechanics worked. It was not too so crunchy that it was complex, but it was just crunchy enough where you had to make deci dramatic decisions right. about fighting the bad guys, saving yourself, saving the innocents and how that applies to your character. And I didn't actually play in that adventure, but just reading it. And as we did our editing process and seeing how that came out, I'm like, man, this is a scene I was born to play in, right? And and those are the kinds of things, Josh, with what he did with our Aliens game, similar things. 
I was born to play in a game where my character sat outside knowing that he couldn't save the captain of his ship on the other side of a sealed door in space and a little porthole, seeing the captain walk away, and he had to turn around, slide down into a seated position, and cry to himself. And I felt that emotion in that moment. And I live for those moments. Gaming, as a writer and a content creator, when I can pen anything close to those moments, when we are part of penning those or reading those, I am all about it. Those dramatic decisions are everything, the whole ball of wax. And I love the fact that we share that with you. I I love the way that you said it, though. I loved the words that you chose when you were talking about Warhammer and because it plays right into the plastic figs that you use when you're playing D&D in person too, or any other game where you're using figs and that the story is what you use to elevate your little plastic or metal person into a hero of legend. That was beautifully phrased. Probably will steal it at some point. No, not really, (laughs) (laughs) but it also, it made me think of the actual origins that we learned about when we watched The Secrets of Blackmore, and really got into the Dave Arniston story and how those old war gamers first created the early TTRPGs was exactly by doing that, by adding story to their little World War II scenario simulations, and then stepping away from historical simulations into their own creations and working on developing the story and the characters. That's where role-playing came from. That was perfect. Loved it. I was going to say, Alex, was that someone should hire you immediately to write prose, and they already have, and you have this great book we're, we're going to dive into. I am less of a prophet and more a teller of history at this point, but we're going to we're going to we're going to jump right. It's almost like we yeah. have prose to talk about. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Gentlemen, fan roll dice to the ready for round two. Let's see where initiative makes us fall this time. Uh, that's a two for me. Uh, Lee Winicky, you rolled this at disadvantage, right? I didn't roll a disadvantage, but I will say the first roll, I have marched up in the pecking order. I, too, have achieved a two. Let me go ahead and roll the other one. (laughs) At disadvantage, it's still probably going to be a two. It is going to remain a two. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I got a 13, so I lead off again. All right. Glenn will definitely go first. I need to roll again, and let's see who gets to go second. At disadvantage again on this one? Uh, Of course. I have marched up the order again. I have achieved three. Oh my god! Need some new dice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would. uh, Maybe you should go with your regular dice instead of the ones that you just happened to find uh, laying on your desk. Um, Unique dice. Those are good Star Trek dice. (laughs) These are amazing Star Trek dice, and I think I will probably do. But I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna follow through. I'm gonna keep marching as we go. I'm gonna keep marching. I I admire the commitment. (laughs) See how it pans out for him. He's used up all the bad stuff, and he's gonna drop that nat twenty if we get if we make it to a third round. Mm. Yeah, maybe we'll if see. you're in, you're all in. That's what I'm saying. All <laughs> right, Alex. a story beats too, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely true, and that's not to beat the dead powered by the apocalypse horse, but that's one of the things I love <laughs> about those games. Also, is the failure for experience, the learning from failure mechanics. Right, mm. but fail fall, fail forward, failing right? forward. That's the words I was looking for. Yes. Yep. I got you. All right. So this time on my round two question, I am going to dive right into Ancient Cargo because I did very much like it as a 
travel scenario contained adventure from point A to point B, whether the PCs, regardless of why the PCs are on the boat, you could insert that into your own campaign anywhere. It's very versatile because all they got to need, all they need to do is be in a position to take a sea voyage and they could wind up on this ship. And as we were speaking before and talking about writing cinematically and closed scenes, that was a big takeaway that I had as I was reading through the adventure, that each of your scenarios is like its own small encapsulated scene. And it's left open enough that I could spread the voyage out as long as I wanted it or condense it more and make it a short couple of days worth of sea voyage, depending on how I chose to frame out the story between encounters. My question is, when you were writing it, how long and arduous a sea voyage was this in your mind? And if you'd give us an insight into the connective tissue between scenes that didn't necessarily make the cut. Sure. So I view this as very frantic in that the players should feel comfortable on the ship. There should be some interaction with the NPCs. So there's that baseline there. But I wrote this as an ordeal. The whole point of it is that it is a it's just one thing after another. And to keep people engaged is that it's this thing, and then it's this thing, and then it's this thing. And it's asking people to make decisions all the time. And there's consequences to those decisions, and those become immediately apparent. My hope that that would be fast and dynamic at the table, because I really wanted an adventure that played in one session because the amount of one shots that spiral out into two three sessions or beyond i just thought i want one that's actually going to be finished in a session and the pace of that was key that needed to be fast it needed to be dynamic and it also needed changing elements because you're on a very precarious position you're on a ship you've got a a big part of it is maintaining the ship. And obviously, something I really wanted to do was for the priorities of people and like in the, the players to be tested and give them a choice of you can do A or you can do B, but you can't do both. Right. Yeah, I, I love that. I There's so much about how this adventure was written that is attractive, right? And the through line was definitely one of it. It's like how you can take this adventure and put it, just drop it into whatever it is that you're doing to give excitement to any voyage that you're taking. So I really loved how that's very well crafted. It's something that we have tried to do to success, I think, with our like kind of adventure starter model, which is exactly that, that sort of, same sort of thing where it's like there's a synopsis, there's a handful of scenes, and then the world is your oyster. Where do you storyteller want to go with this now that we have set the table with this information? I love that this had the same kind of same kind of character to it. I, I would absolutely agree with that. And in addition, what I really liked was just the fact that it was it was snappy. Reading through decisions you make earlier impact the final scene. I'm not going to describe how or in what way because right. I want people to That's just perfect. know that decisions you make will impact different things that go on. I'll leave that at that. that not element even decisions, but also your ability to succeed or fail on certain things impacts right. what happens in the story. That's and really those, cool too. 
Those rolling forward consequences were one of my favorite things about it. Absolutely. That was the way that my first impression went as well. I was, as I was reading it, I was like, maybe a day between here and here. Absolutely. As a fan of classic literature, as I said, I consume a ton of content and have over the years. But one of my absolute favorite stories of all time is the Odyssey. And no small part of that is because I'm from a town called Ithaca, New York. That's kind of, I have a connection with that in that way, even though that's very different than Ithaca, Greece. We're named after it. So I have, I feel a connection with the Odyssey in that regard. But sea stories, I love stories of sea voyages that can be short or long, or what should be a short voyage becomes a long voyage, and there's different stops along the way. I've run numbers of campaigns where you're going from here to there. It's going to take you X amount of time, but along the way, here's your first stop. Here's your second stop. Here's your setback. And each of these things can happen. And I just love the fact that this drops immediately into that. I do a series of one shots for various conventions on what I call the the Wake Runner. It's a sailing ship for small people. It's kobolds, it's halflings, it's dwarves, it's all the little people in fan, in a fantasy world. They're on the Wake Runner, and this is a fighting ship sized down specifically for small people as in you can play any character type of character you want on it but you are uncomfortable you're a disadvantage you can't necessarily get into all the spaces if you're anything other than a small person i love that i could take that wake runner series and now i've got a new adventure that i could just I can drop into that series. That's amazing. I was looking for another D&D style game to run for a convention I'm going to later this in February. And I think I may have just found it because this looks like it's going to play wonderfully and it would fit right in with my Wake Runner series. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Especially with the open-endedness of it too. It could be the very beginning of a nautical series that could be fantastic as you continue to expand from the storyline of the power behind the whole thing. Yeah. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we've leveled up our game and we're prepared to make your next role legendary. We've just started a partnership with FanRoll Dice and they have over 300 product options to choose from. Gemstone, metal, new liquid core dice, and so much more. Better yet, listeners to the Tabletop Journeys podcast can get 10% off on their orders when they follow the link below and use discount code PODCAST10. A portion of these purchases come back to us, and this is a great way for you to help support the show. So this is actually going to feed directly into my second question. So, Lumenique, I appreciate you setting the table for me. One of the other things that I found most attractive about this and why I think it could work fantastically in a convention setting is the modular nature of the encounters, right? That you can engage with certain parts of the story or not, depending on the story that you want to go ahead and tell. So you can, if there's the whole background behind your mysterious visitor, right? The, and again, we're trying to be very vague here, but like, how deeply do you want to get into their background or not? All of that is, if you've got the time and you've got the table and you've got the right players, man, dive into, there's a whole bunch of history in there that you can go ahead and, that Alex, you opened the door to and then leave it up to the storyteller to go ahead and create more if they want to. Right. Or you cannot. If you don't want to get into any of that, you don't have to. Like, 
but so where my question is going is that the one thing that you really can't avoid is the big bad of the adventure, so to speak, the aberrant right. beast. Where did the aberrant beast come from? What's the genesis behind the aberrant beast? What's what are the sources that you pulled from to go ahead and put that big bad together? I'm not a huge horror fan, but I really respect the craft and I find it really fascinating genre to look into. I find personally thrillers like Jaws, Alien, etc. The uncertainty, the unseen monster is something that personally resonates with me a lot as something that I find very engaging, very dynamic and I wanted to put that in an environment that was isolated and unfamiliar to the characters and the players, but that also has an end in sight. It wasn't just a case of you've got to survive until you kill this thing. I wanted it to be a case of this journey does have an end. Whether you reach it or not depends largely on what you do. Right. Right. Yeah. Would. Whether or not your story ends like Samuel L. Jackson, the movie where oh, Samuel gosh. Jackson after yeah. after his big speech basically gets eight. Was that Deep Blue? It was Deep Blue, and yeah. it wasn't even after his speech. It was at the crescendo of his speech. <laughs> I did also love the Jaws reference in the story. Again, we won't spoil it. We want people to go ahead and download it. But I thought that was exceptionally well placed and funny. Chuckle so as well. Hear, hear, hearing that that Jaws was an inspiration behind the Aberrant Beast, perfect. Well done. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. Cool. As someone who has also been diving into horror a lot lately, not only because of the season, but because I was writing a horror module too. So like realizing like, where do you pull monstrous inspiration from? Those are, that's fantastic. Your answer really resonated with me because as I've said on this podcast innumerable times, I am terrified of horror films, terrified. As you, I respect the craft. There's something about writing horror that as a content creator, as a writer, and I've honestly been a storyteller and a writer since I was a young child. Before I was even picking up pen and paper, I was telling stories verbally. There's something about that craft that I have always been connected to, even though it terrifies me. I was terrified by Planet of the Apes as a child. Jaws was so scary to me that I refused to go near water. I will definitely say... Even though it scares me, and Josh will joke from time to time that there are elements of that movie that still freak me out, (laughs) but I am so magnetically drawn to good horror thriller. I'm not talking slasher films, jump scares specifically, but good thrillers with an air of mystery where you don't see the beast. Um, Aliens, uh, Jaws, so many others are just right there on the cusp. The original Blair Witch, amazing stuff. And that's the thing, isn't it? Is it's the case of the suspense, and the reason it's so engaging is because of that uncertainty, and it's because of the mystery. It's why I find grindhouse cinema or anything that's gratuitous both unpleasant and also not engaging, in yeah. my opinion, because the the thing that engages me and and this is the reason I look up I'll watch horror films I've been known to watch horror films on mute before because I'm enthralled but I'm also terrified so I I'm really interested but it's, hey, it's with the subtitles mystery. you can still follow it yeah it's the mystery it's the yeah. it's the slow burn it's the uncertainty that really draws people in and it's why people love being scared they love scary stories the 
the best example that I can think of, because I'm exactly with you. I'm not like a big fan of like gratuitously violent horror films. Right. Gore for the sake of gore. The best example of what you're talking about that I can think of is the movie House of a Thousand Corpses, the Rob Zombie movie. Because it's as you meet who are ultimately the bad guys. You don't even know that they're necessarily the bad guys up front. They're a little creepy. They're a little off. But it's as the movie goes along that... As you begin to realize why the book, why the movie is called House of a Thousand Corpses, it's like, oh, everything that they have been touching and interacting with for this entire movie was at one point a person. That's awful. It's oh. and when that finally washes over you, it's, oh, mm. oh, cool. Yeah, no, they're awful people. They, <laughs> they are not good people. They are. So, yeah, that's absolutely with you yeah interesting you say rob zombie because i was going to use him as an example of the opposite effect and it, it was his halloween film that i did that that i would say that so after years as an adult i finally went back and watched the original six halloween films actually i've watched h2o also and there's various variant degrees of success with those films but the first one and the second one were really good thriller horror films like really good even though they're slasher films and it is one of the penultimate slasher films per se the amount of horror the way it is the creep level of the opening scenes you know the fact that he's after his sister period and everybody else is just collateral damage on his way to getting his sister and not ever really understanding the why, where and, and where's, which is where that series of films went wrong. When they explain that is when that whole series and the third one was terrible, right? That is what I find terrifying. Looking out the window, seeing him amongst the laundry and then looking back again and he's not there, but he didn't run her immediately to the house. That's terrifying, right? That's what was scary. In contrast, when Rob Zombie did Halloween, we again explained too much. We humanized Michael to a certain extent where he murdered somebody who did a series of awful things to a fellow patient or whatever that set off his whole murder spree and his, his escape. But I actually just stopped watching the film at that point. One, that's a level of violence that I'm not in for. I don't need to see that kind of scene and I'm just not here for it. And I, you know, somebody else wants to watch it. That's their thing. It's not mine. I'm out. Right. But two, it took away the actual mystery, which is the why. Once you explain the why you're no longer a horror movie, you're doing a drama. And I don't think horror and drama work that well on film in that way like it just mm. doesn't there are things that can do it i'm not saying it can't be done i'm saying i've yet to see a slasher film that does it right you are either yeah. going to be all about the mystery or a monster thing like jaws or a monster thing like the original aliens and that's why they went an entirely different route went action movie the second time around because you weren't going to do that a second time we've seen the monster right. we're not not successfully yeah, you got to do it a little different the next time around. And I think that's what really works with an adventure like this is the fact that there's things happening, there's things going on, but you're never quite sure as you're reading it as a player. And I think as a storyteller, I love that kind of thing, whether it's one I'm writing or I'm a part of. I don't write horror particularly well. But I know it when I see it, and I love being a part of that. Like, I love being it, role-playing in horror stories, specifically the ones that Josh does, because he scares the crap out of me every um, But I'm here for it. I'm here for it all day long, and I love how there are some nice, very tropey 
adversaries within this. Like everybody yeah. has seen these. They're well telegraphed. They're I, they're out of the SRD. Everybody has seen these things, but there's something a little different about it. And I love that technique. I, I absolutely do. Sounds great. Yeah. I didn't write this as a horror adventure particularly. I just wanted it to be a dynamic event-based adventure. But the kind of the cool thing is that because of the setting and because of the adversaries, it could be run as horror quite yeah. quite effectively. It's all about the tone at the table. Yep. yep. And that session zero. Yep. Oh, yeah, because when you're running horror, that's super important. you got to make yeah. sure everybody's on top. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Mr. Miller, it is your question. It is my question, and you've, Alex, you've probably seen in our chat, I keep typing snake. In fact, snake two and three, the main reason for that is we have this tendency to take <laughs> questions that each of us might want to, and me going last every round has not helped that situation at all. So I've been snake on uh. every one of my questions. That said, I came prepared, and I did have uh, a, a question for you. In the opening pages that like it, it, of this adventure, you talk about your inspirations. You specifically Bob the World Builder, but you also mentioned Sly Flourish, and who I have listened to on podcast and watched on YouTube for years as well. I love the fact that you take the time to call out your inspirations. A lot of content creators do, but I was interested to see or to hear specifically how they inspired you in this space as a whole and specifically what it is that they've done that really helped you out with putting this particular adventure in place. Yeah, so I, I really wanted to. My, my work is obviously inspired by a lot of wonderful people who I have they've nurtured my hobby and my interest and expanded my knowledge immensely. And also the people that I cite as inspiration have a very similar philosophy to me, which I really resonate with in terms of the game as a story, as opposed to uh, a series of mechanics and dice rolling and I just think it was quite natural for me, really. I, I This adventure and, and my subsequent adventures, and uh, separate from my, my work with Describe, for example, and my other narrative work, is that this is the culmination of my of these influences, which is why I cite a lot of these the things like Sly Flourish talks about the dials. I don't name them as such, but I mention adjusting things on the fly to keep things fun because that's the most important thing at the table is is the fun and that includes for the for the game master the storyteller what have you and i really wanted to easily give people who who picked up my adventure the tools to run it their way with minimal effort and also much like the adventure itself to react to dynamic situations Excellent. That sounds a lot like what I've gathered from those same sources and similar sources as well. It's just tuning those dials, like knowing when to move up with difficulty, down with difficulty. We did our last, our most recent live episode was at a convention where we talked about how to run one shots. And we talked about those same, those similar types of things. Like you got to get a good read at your table. You know, some of the things that you did right here in the adventure is right at the beginning, take the choice out of it they're in the adventure. Like that decision has been made. 
you're starting not quite in media res like the battle's on, but you're pretty close to it at the start of this adventure, which makes it a perfect for a convention because you the decision making process is is done. It gives you that great cold open for a campaign if you want to yeah. build a whole campaign off of it. All of those types of things. Really great stuff. And also things like in the beginning of the packet here where you're talking about adjusting the adventure on the fly. If the creatures need more hit points, if they need fewer hit points, if you need more of them, whatever. Whatever the dynamic of the party is, because it's written for four third-level characters, if you're dropping this into your campaign and that's not where your players are, giving your storytellers the permission, for lack of a better phrase, to go ahead and do that like right up front... The line reminded me of the motto of another podcast that we listen to all the time, the RPG Academy, where it's, if you're having fun, you're doing it right, their motto, and you lean right into that and say, this is supposed to be fun, let's remember that, feel free to, any, pretty much anything I've written here, if it doesn't work, change it so that it does work, that kind of thing, which I think is just brilliantly, it's just brilliantly put together. It's a really great idea. Leans right into Thank that. you. I've got a new uh, adventure coming out soon. It's just in editing at the moment. And all of the playtesters for that has basically straight up told me they don't like it how it is. And I was mm. like, yeah, fine. You can, it's just a, <laughs> it's just a toolbox. You run it however you want. You want you don't, don't want this bit? Change it. You want to yeah. put some more in here? That's fine. When this adventure was playtested, in fact, the, the GM completely changed the opening of it because they didn't like it. And I was like, yeah, fine. Yeah. It's... I've given you the tools to do it and how you put them together and how you, what you build from this is entirely down to you and your group. That is a great way to look at it. And it's a great way to write it too, making sure that it's clear up front because we're gonna, as storytellers, we're going to make it fit our table and we're going to make it fit our group. So holding on to the idea of what we wanted it to be when we wrote it, when we published an adventure and be and being upset about people making changes, that's, that, that would just be crazy because we want it to be accepted and, and personalized and, yeah. and personalized so that the players and the groups can have fun with it. And yep. whatever you got to do, take, keep, maintain your table awareness, watch your players. Somebody starts looking like they're lagging. You adjust yeah. those tiles. Uh, the example I would give is we've written a lot of adventures in the last three years, and I have run several of them at conventions, and I have never run any of them the same way, nor have I run any of them the way we actually wrote it. Even when I write an adventure, I don't run it the same way for each group or, or what have you, and I think that's an important thing for content creators to know understand absorb certainly for gms who are looking for how do i run an adventure uh at a convention if you're looking at a published adventure whether it be major party or 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 thir third party or double a whatever the case may be understand that change it for your table always change yeah. it for your table yeah. alex thank you so very much for coming on board talking to us today love hearing the fact that you're so close to the home of wargaming games Wor workshop it is a pilgrimage at some point i would hope to make i won't say that the only reason why i want to go to the uk is to go there but it's got to be in the top four reasons uh, <laughs> I don't do I don't do big carousels, so it, Games Workshop is probably <laughs> going to be more important to me than the I. I love hearing all that and really appreciate your time. The one thing I would uh, like to say is, as you're writing more and more adventures, please make Tabletop Journeys a regular stop. When you are doing things, if you've got a, a new set coming out, let us know, especially if you carry on some of the 
the background pieces of this adventure. I'm interested to see where that backstory goes and whether that's in some of your other adventures or not. You have my attention, uh, and I'd love to hear more about it as we go. Not only for Cyberpunk Red, if you're ever looking for playtesters, we have an amazing group of role players that are part of the Tabletop Journeys family, our community group, our Patreon group. We have, And they have helped us with a lot of playtesting, some really good minds. Some of those are game writers as well and we have a great podcast family we'd be happy to go ahead and anytime you wish to do play tests and even have those recorded we'd love to do those do a little actual play with you put you uh, put some of your work out on in other avenues as well no thank you that's wonderful yeah i'd really appreciate that i'm just finished one this has been done play testing and i've finished the editing on that so that's gone to the professional editor that's going and I'm halfway through writing my, my first mystery adventure, which I'm cool. very much enjoying. You want to teaser either of those real quick? Uh, yeah, sure. The one that's going to come out to the second adventure is a straight-up dungeon crawl. It's designed using the principles. I'm doing a course. I'm doing a couple of courses, in fact, from Circe Victory. And I've designed it using the cyclical dungeon model, which I really enjoy putting together. And it's a low-level dungeon crawl, and it's very dangerous, and it's very much a... This one's this one is story-focused, but it also, because it's a dungeon crawl, it's a bit more leaning into the sort of gaming side of it, as opposed to the very similitude school of yep. thought. Yep. And then the other one is a race against the clock, because a noble has been poisoned, and mm. the characters are summoned to... It's discovered, and this is in the start of the adventure, it's discovered that the noble is afflicted with a blood curse, and the only way to cure it is to find the person who cast it, get their blood, and cast a restorative ritual. Ooh, excellent. That sounds hot. That sounds a lot of fun. For the record, we need to be playing that because you put nobles involved, and I'm all in. That's my bailiwick, personally, and I love me a good mystery. Yeah. We need yeah. we need to be a part of that. <laughs> in the meantime, Alex, where mm-hmm. can people find your stuff? There'll be links in the show notes down below, but how can they engage with you on social media and where can they find your, your content? Yeah, my I did use Twitter a lot. I don't use it so much now. I'm still transferring platforms. I, I use Instagram a lot more. So if you search Arcane, Arcane Core Publishing on Instagram, that should pop up. It's got my logo and i'm also i have my profile for professional work and i have my uh, drive through page as well i do have a shop of on my own on my portfolio website but it's not live yet but i would prefer if possible people buy from there just because i see more percentage of the sale for those who aren't in the publishing game platforms take quite a hefty cut their services not part of the business yeah, model <laughs> so it really helps creators, especially smaller creators, if you buy from their websites directly or from them directly. Preach. Absolutely. <laughs> Let us echo that. Yeah. And, the qu- uh... and the choir doth sing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Let's see. As I said earlier at the top of the show here, we're just about wrapping up our 2023 calendar. Next week's episode is actually going to be our 2023 year in review episode, which, you know what, gentlemen, a lot has happened in 2023, both for us here at Tabletop Journeys, but in the role-playing scene uh, as a whole. I think that is going to be a very interesting 
interesting episode when we get to to be recording that. Alex, thank you again very much for joining us. I'm really glad that we could uh, make the time. Appreciate you staying up so late to go ahead and, and record with us and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I would love to work with you all in future and uh, we'll definitely get that game going because uh, I love playing with new people. So. Awesome. Can't wait. So, all right. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next week when we do our 2023 year in review. Until then, have a good night. Later. Good night. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday. And every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Awake.